Hey there everybody, welcome to our very first video blog. I'm James Briarton from the Carolina Weather Group and we're going to take the next few minutes to look back at 2017. It finished our fourth straight year of doing this program for you. 214 episodes in total. Can you believe it? So uh, we are settled in, taking a week off from producing new shows as we enjoy the holiday season with our families. And I've settled in here by the fireplace to produce this video blog for you. And I spoke with some of our other panel members to ask them what some of their favorite moments from 2017 are. And they're coming to you just moments away. We couldn't have done this show without you, our loyal local audience, and all the great guests who joined us for our program. So remember, we're going to take just a brief look at some of the interviews we did here, but if you want to watch the full-length interviews, you can find them on YouTube, Facebook, and on Periscope. We're, of course, on audio form on Google Play Music and on iTunes, and now you can find us on Stitcher and TuneIn. So, so many ways to check out our weekly Wednesday weather show, and we hope you will continue to do that as we look ahead to 2018. So, Without further ado, let's look back at some of our favorite moments from 2017. And this very first clip you're about to see uh, was suggested by one of our newest panelists, Jared Smith from Charleston, South Carolina. And we're going to look back at our November 8th interview with Dr. Mitch Goldberg, the head of NOAA's new weather satellite. Remember this one, JPSS-1. So this new satellite is going to give us lots of great forecasting capability, especially as we look ahead to the next hurricane season. There are lots of shiny toys aboard this uh, new satellite. But some of them give us some unintended, really great benefits. Check it out. One cool thing that you probably uh, that I didn't say tell before. So so it's um, so we have the various images very sensitive to light, and there's um, a crabbing vessel. I think it was in the dangerous catch uh, on I think on what is it, Discovery Channel or something has I forgot the network. Uh, but the a vessel called this Kiska Sea. It was actually lost. It knew where it was, but it was stuck in the ice pack. Like uh, it couldn't figure out where it was to get out. And so, um, so uh, the Coast Guard called the Weather Service and said, "Hey, can you help us figure this out?" And um, and the weather, and they looked at this the day night band that is very sensitive to light, and it could see the light from the ship. We were able to see it. Uh, of course, we had the GPS coordinates, so we knew where to look. But the thing about it is that. We could also see the ice at night. And so we were able to say, you know, go straight, make a right, make a left, you know, to get out of the ice pack. So that was really interesting. So that was a good, uh, that, you know, that, that was a great uh, event. We were able to help the ship to find its way because uh, when you look at the image, you'll see the rest of the crabbing vessel, maybe like 20 boats in this one area. And this one boat, maybe he was trying to get uh, better crab somewhere, but it was just by itself. It's stuck in the ice, and so that, that's a good story of our our satellite uh, technology can detect lights um, in different parts of the world. Uh, what about the aurora borealis? Would it be able to catch that? Oh, absolutely! Well? Just just do a Google search, say uh, Beers, you know, V uh, I I R S, um, and um, um, and uh, and Google search that, and you'll find images all over the place. It's beautiful imagery. Coming up, we're going to take you into the eye of a hurricane, and we're going to hear from a guy who can give a one-of-a-kind perspective. But first, Shay Gibson chimed in with his pick of the year, and he comes from his conversation with Doug Marcy. Now, you may remember that Doug is a coastal hazard specialist. He's with the NOAA Office for Coastal Management, and he joined us on March 22nd to show off a new tool that could be a true lifesaver. Um, yeah, I started with NOAA about... 
I guess I've been with NOAA about 15 years now. Uh, about 2002 is when I started. Before that, I uh, worked for the uh, Corps of Engineers here in Charleston as a hydraulic engineer. I worked on a lot of um, hydrologic modeling and coastal engineering projects. And then before that, I worked at the South Carolina Coastal Management Program for a couple of years, helping them out as a NOAA fellow, working on some GIS applications. Um, but since I've been at NOAA, I've been working a lot on uh, various types of flooding issues, starting out working actually with the Weather Service on a lot of the inland flooding, river flooding stuff after Hurricane Floyd, 1999, kind of kind of dates me a little bit. And, um, and then more recently on storm surge issues, we work a lot with our Hurricane Center uh, storm surge unit down there, Jamie Rome, and a lot of their products that they're putting out. And uh, we've been doing a lot of sea level rise work, a lot of mapping work, which is what I'm going to kind of talk about today. So when you get started, you go in, you're able to just uh, type in your address. I'll do uh, Charleston, there's Peninsula, and uh, let's zoom out one more. You can see you got these, uh, these little location spots here, so I can, I can click on that. Pulls up. This is the, that's the U.S. Customs House. Some of these photo locations, so we know the elevation there from the data, and then we can, with our slider bar here, we start out at mean high or high water, and we're using something called the the V data model to do that. It's uh, we model the tide over about 60 or 80 days, and we have a tide surface, uh, so it does take into account the variability in the tidal surface instead of just interpolating between gauges, and then we can raise the sea level by uh, one foot increments. And you can see on the on the photo, we, we know the elevation there, so we can kind of estimate when water is going to start to impact uh, the structure. So I always like to point this out because when they built the Customs House back in the early 1900s, they knew what they were doing because <laughs> that's probably the highest first floor elevation in downtown Charleston. Um, if we'd have only built the rest of the structures that way, we would be good. Um, so that it's got that aspect, and you can look at these kind of green areas. I like to show this too because. These are the areas where we start to have the, the, the nuisance flooding, if you want to call it that. So these are our old uh, shoreline kind of, you can outline them here, especially on the western side of the peninsula. So they're green because they're not connected, but as soon as you get to a certain threshold, they do connect. So you, these are the areas where it's coming up through, if you imagine passing a plane through the, through the, the earth, then the water's going to start to pond, show ponding in some areas there. So, and then we can go all the way up to six feet. We're, in the current, in the process of probably mapping even higher than that, given the new the NOAA Tech report, you can see the map for yourself by searching on the web for NOAA Digital Coast. It's a great tool. You're certainly not going to want to miss it. Now, coming. Oh, thank you, Holiday Cookie. That is awesome. Fireside chats, best of Carolina Weather Group 2017. Now, coming up in just a few minutes, we're going to revisit our conversation with the Weather Channel's Jim Cantori. You're not going to want to miss it. He's going to take us behind the scenes and tell us how that great thunderstorm moment came to be. But first, let's take you inside a hurricane. And we got the chance to talk with Captain William Simmons of the U.S. Air Force 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron. He gets to fly that Hurricane Hunter aircraft into a storm. And our Ricky Matthews, who is a pilot himself picks up the conversation. All right, last question for me, and I promise I'll give it back to everyone else. Um, has there ever been a, an oh wow moment, um, you know, during these flights or anything that really you know, catches your breath and, and makes you think, uh, wow, that was incredible? Yeah, and I, mean, I hate to keep going back to a couple of weeks ago, but Irma uh, 
first category five and was was also at night. You saw the video a little bit ago on the the show from the uh, NOAA aircraft flying. You saw the stadium effect. Well, I got to see the stadium effect, but it was under a full moon. Uh, and it was just, you know, the perfect storm, uh, so to speak, that coming together. Because otherwise, uh, I wouldn't have seen anything, which would have, you know, uh, we're not out there to, to see pretty things. You're out there to collect data, first and foremost. But if I'm out there and there's a stadium effect, I mean, I'm a meteorologist, so I would, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing it. So it was uh, having a full moon out there. It, it was just um it was just, I can't put it into words, really. I took a few pictures. We had three pilots on board. So, of course, two were flying. And so I was, once we got in the eye and, you know, winds were relatively light, I was uh, taking pictures as well. Some of those were on my Twitter page and uh, the uh, 53rd Weather Reconnaissance Squadron, our, our uh, Twitter page as well. They, they have a lot of pictures there. But I'd say flying in Irma, seeing the stadium effect at night under a full moon was, I'm not quite sure how you could beat that view. And you just kind of say, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this. One more for me. All right, this is a technical one. So there's, um, uh, uh, you know, all this talk about mesovortices inside of the inner eye walls of these giant hurricanes. Um, and for the viewers out there, mesovortices are, are what we call vertical swirls. They're, they're sort of like uh, uh, supercells spinning around inside of these eye walls. And, and sometimes they, they can cross the eye. Uh, so I wanted to ask, have, have you had experience with these? And have you seen these actually crossing the entire eye where it would normally be calm, it's actually stormy. And what does that do for the, the flight? Yeah, uh, uh, over the past few weeks, um, uh, going, <laughs> I think it was also Irma, uh, one of the flights there, uh, we saw, and, and you know, some people think hurricane hunters will fly into anything, and that's not true. We do not want to fly into those mesovortices. We had a crew... Uh, a few years ago that uh, they think that might be what happened, but uh, they got into something like that. And um, I mean, every, everything ended up being fine, but it's just not the situation you want to put yourself in. So a few weeks ago, we were looking at the radar um, and the navigator is kind of our radar expert. And of course the meteorologist on board as well. Uh, and we were picking up what we thought were those mesovortices. So, uh, so first of all, we figured out a route to, to get around them. Uh, to answer your kind of second question there, I've never seen it go across the eye or where it's kind of isolated. It's more so been uh, off of the eye wall and then I guess more of a hook type shape uh, is kind of coming off the eye wall itself. But so fortunately, nothing kind of too um, singular by itself or secluded. That's just kind of coming off the eye. And uh, those are, you know, we have a, a pretty determined course, uh, kind of a crisscross pattern. We call it an alpha pattern going through the eye. And we'll definitely deviate around those tight vortices. Uh, I've seen water spouts before out there, so that's uh, kind of neat to see just as a meteorologist um, doing those low-level invests. So we'll definitely avoid those as well. It, was that a, You said it was an Irma flight. I seem to remember seeing like you guys went through the eye and then kind of cycled back and went through the eye again. Is that something common, or why would something like that occur? Uh, well, for one thing, these guys right here, uh, they don't always want to uh, transmit data. So the loadmaster, they'll release the, the drop sign. We'll give it a few seconds. And usually they say, okay, good sign. And the data will start showing up on the computers. But sometimes you'll hear a bad sign or the, the data doesn't show up at all. Or if it does, it's just uh, just really, um, I can't think of the word right now, but it, it's not accurate at all. So we'll, we'll actually do a loop around in the eye, kind of a holding pattern. 
and uh, go back and, and hit hit the fix again and drop another sign just to ensure we're getting the best data to give the hurricane center. And uh, that's not uncommon. We just try to turn into the wind uh, for those aviation guys out there. It decreases your turn radius uh, and decreases your ground speed as well. So we'll turn into the wind for the holding pattern and, and hit the fix again. But so that's the main reason why we would do that. And you mentioned 10,000 feet. What's the average like flight speed and stuff like that uh, when you're flying through a storm? So we generally fly at 180 knots indicated. Uh, so reading directly off our airspeed. Uh, and that's because it's, it's a good speed for going fast enough to, of course, create lift and stay in the air. But it's low enough that uh, it's also a structural speed. So as you can imagine, the wings are <clears throat> can bend a little bit and give with some of the turbulence and all the updrafts and downdrafts. So that 180 knots, so we fly is a good balance of speed, but not going too fast, where if we encounter some type of updraft and downdraft that puts a big G-force on the airplane, that it would put like a structural um, uh, limit or uh, stress on the aircraft to put it out of limits and, and hurt us that way. So kind of a good balance speed there. And uh, kind of a my own follow-up to that, the 10,000 feet, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we fly at 10,000. We would, the meteorologists on board would love to fly lower to get some of the best data towards the surface, but 10,000 is, is a good uh, safety margin for if something were to happen that gives us plenty of altitude to recover or troubleshoot or climb back up if need be. So 10,000 is also a good buffer of good data, but also safety. Thank you, dear. Thank you. Thank you very much. This is what happens when you sit by this lovely warm fire. It may be cold outside, but it is quite toasty in here. So thanks for settling in and catching up on the 27 year, 2017 year with me here as we look back at some of our interviews. Earlier this month, we had a chance to sit down with Dr. Marshall Shepard. He's a TV personality. You've probably seen him as the host of Weather Geeks on the Weather Channel. He's an author, and I can vouch for this. He's also a college professor. I had him myself at the University of Georgia. We asked him about all sorts of things, but one of the takeaways from this conversation was our conversation about social media. I was going to ask Dr. Shepard, you know, the state of social meteorology in 2017, um, getting better, getting worse, or just about the same? I mean, it, you know, it, 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 Jared, it's, it is what it is to some degree. Um, you know, I think that... Um, you know, it's an interesting. I, I think about this often. I, you know, I, I, I think social media is a net positive for what we do. Um, if as long as those of us that are responsible responsible about it can continue to point out the ridiculousness and foolishness that's out there, uh, I think that's important to do. And I think if you know, I think people are starting to develop a a. a, a a sixth sense for the, the, the foolishness out there. Uh, yeah, it's still out there, but the more and more we call it out, I think the, the better we'll be. Uh, so uh, I, I think, you know, one of the, do you guys do Snapchat by chance? Shay does. We're trying to. <laughs> no, 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 no. Hold on. I, mean, I know. I, I'm We're so slow to get to it. I swear I'm going to get to it because, I mean, now we do have, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter. Yeah. I mean, what else do you want to throw in the pile of, of a day's work? I mean, well, no, Snapcasting is, is a, it's a growing thing, right? Like, uh, I know we, we kind of make fun of it, but it is actually, it has a great algorithm for getting the entire audience all at one time. That's, that was my point, Shay, because I don't use it either. So, I don't, <laughs> but I, I think it, it is one of the 
the, you know, it's got these sort of the algorithm that you mentioned. It also has this sort of sort of uh, snap map feature that, ca- that people can identify sort of in real time where there's a power outage or flooding. So it has some potential more so than, of course, Facebook, which many of us have railed on as being virtually useless uh, for conveying real time weather information. I think Twitter's much better than Facebook at that type of thing. But I think Snapchat, from what I can tell, at least I don't really use it, seems to be even better for real time. But the problem is, unless you're under 30, you're not using it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm generalizing some. I, I know that's what most of the students are using at University of Georgia. I know that's what my 13-year-old, 14-year-old daughter is using. And they need to get weather information, too. So, I mean, you know, how are we getting I mean, I, I don't I don't know if that's kind of a frontier for weather information because I, I don't, I mean, I, from a social meteorology standpoint, are people Snapchatting 10 days football maps? I don't know. <laughs> 2017 turned out to be a great year, so thanks so much for following us. We hope you will stay subscribed and continue to interact with us as we head into 2018. Remember, you can catch our live shows every Wednesday night just after 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Facebook Live, Periscope, and YouTube. And, of course, you can catch up with the audio, take the uh, podcast with you the next day by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play Music, and now on Stitcher and TuneIn. We have shows already scheduled and lined up for 2018, so we hope you will continue to join us each and every week for our conversations. Now, 2017, we had the chance for the very first time to welcome to our show the Weather Channel's Jim Cantori. And no conversation with Jim would be complete if you didn't get a chance to ask him about his legendary television moment and i want to ask if you have any memorable north carolina snowstorms yes and it's the one i wasn't there for okay so so here comes this you know because first of all it's very difficult to forecast and pinpoint snow in the south uh you have to forecast the timing what time of the day does it happen? The other thing is, too, is it going to go to 40 degrees the next day or is it going to go to 14 and stay that way for three days like we had in Atlanta, which was a complete disaster? So there's a lot of things that go in just in addition to the snowfall forecast. But this particular situation was for Charlotte and it was it was kind of a two pronged storm. One wave would come up and dump the first round of snow that busted. So they busted me and brought me home. But now I came home and and Charlotte got six to eight inches of snow uh, that evening and overnight. And it was, of course, it was a complete disaster the next day. So that was, was the most memorable one for me, certainly uh, in the state of North Carolina. All right, Jim. One question. One question about snow. It, it's not really dealing with the Carolinas. Not, <laughs> Does that have to do with thunder? Not only are you great at covering hurricanes and, and tornadoes, talk to us about the thunder snow episodes. You, you've got to witness a lot of these something that a lot of us have never really got to witness. So, so talk to us about your excitement uh, of witnessing this. Yeah. So on live television, guys, I've been in five of these episodes, which is just unthinkable. First of all, to even have five with or without being on TV is, is a whole amazing part. But, but um, the, the last one of course was February 15th of 2015 when it just never stopped snowing in Boston. And, and I'll give you a kid, kind of a little inside story on that. I was basically in Boston covering the snowstorm and we didn't have to move because every other day there was a forecast for snow and impact snow for the Boston metro area. So they're like, Jim, listen, we want you to get down to the Cape because the winds are going to be a little bit stronger and you're going to get some heavy snow. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll do that. And so Reynolds Wolf took over for me uh, in Boston. So here I am in Plymouth. Reynolds is in 
uh, in Boston. At about 5.05 in the morning, I see him getting thunder and lightning in his shot. I was completely demoralized. I'm like, no, I just left there. I could have gotten thunder. So I was completely demoralized. I literally went face down in the snow. 15 minutes later, I got it. And so I went from down here to way up here, uh, literally in just a minute. So, so the euphoria, that's what created, I think, that whole reaction. And then it happened again, and it happened again, and it happened again right in that spot. So now when I go out and cover a snowstorm, okay, it's not about where's the most snow going to be, but where and when are we going to get the potential for thunder snow? That, that's the first thing I'm looking at these days. Uh, now, now, again, I want to kind of put a little asterisk here. Do I encourage people to go out when there's thunder and lightning? No, 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 I do not. Uh, and I probably shouldn't be out there as well. All right. We all, we all know that. But there's just I can't tell you what it is, but there's just something about being out there when it's snowing literally two, three, four inches an hour. And all of a sudden you get a flash of lightning. The whole sky goes pink and purple. You hear this muffled thunder coming through. It's just kind of the atmosphere at its best in a, in a wintertime situation. So that's it. That's our look back at 2017. We already have shows lined up for you in 2018. We're really looking forward to what the year has to bring, and we hope you will join us for our little Wednesday weather web show. That's a lot of alliteration. So I hope you enjoy this time with family and friends. Stay safe. Enjoy the holiday season, and we'll see you right back here in 2018.